Morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, where James read for us this morning from our theme passage, the passage from, uh, on which we based our theme for the year. For those of you who are visiting, we, uh, we're happy you're here. We're glad you found us in our temporary location. Sometimes it's hard enough to find us in our normal location. Some of you found us both places <laughs> this, all this morning, uh, so kudos to you. Uh, but just for your information, uh, we, we, we set our theme up on two, two kind of planes. One is what should, we, what should we learn, how should we think differently, and uh, what should we do differently. Uh, so from this passage, the, the thought, right, the, the, the learning goal that we had was working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Right? That's, that's a personal thing. You do that and you primarily do it in, in your mind, right? The actions follow, but if you don't work out your salvation mentally, logically, from God's word, um, the actions aren't going to mean anything or be on the right track or whatever. Right? And then the action goal, the way we're supposed to live differently is be lights shine as lights in the world as as this passage states so we'll read this again and just kind of see look at look for those two goals as we read it we're going to be talking about a very specific aspect of this passage this morning philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 12 so then my beloved just as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. So that's our passage. That's where those two goals came from. What I want to talk about today is it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of found right in the middle here, but I want to ask you a question first. What if I told you there was a way uh, to prove absolutely that you are a child of God? I don't mean prove it to other people. I just mean like a mathematical proof. Just prove the fact. Right? Um, you don't use mathematical proofs to prove to other people that 2 plus 2 is 4. Right? Uh, once you've done, gone through the mathematical proof, it's settled. People can disagree with it. Right? They're just not going to engage in mathematics successfully. Right? Um, so this, I think that's the kind of proof that he's talking about here. So you can prove yourself to be a child of God. It's right here. Um, well, it, if I just threw that out there and we hadn't read this, what would you think? Like, how do you go about doing that? Is it the person... I passed a guy yesterday who um, was was on a loudspeaker telling everyone walking by that they were sinners. That's true. Right? He's speaking the truth. In the most basic form. I mean, hopefully Christians aren't people who are given over to sin, practicing sin, engaged in sin, right? But those of us who have mature minds, right, we've, we've committed sin. Is that what? Is that how you prove it? Is that a proof? Like he, he's he's proven to be a child of God. 
by public accusation of true accusations. Um, what about unconditional support? Everyone in your life, regardless of their pursuit, you support. You get behind them 100%. Even if it's a sinful pursuit, you're like, you know what, you've chosen it, and that's good enough for me. Is that, is that how you prove yourself to be a child of God? Some people believe that. Just They call it love, right? I'm not going to use that word because that's not love. Right? Supporting someone destroying themselves is not love. But I'm going to use the word support because it is support. They're supporting them in something, in a pursuit. Is that how you prove? Um, and this is one that you know, kind of hits close to home for me. What about online trolling? You'll find somebody you disagree with online and just tear into them. Right? Not, not just someone you disagree with. Find someone who's teaching something wrong online and just tear into them. Right? Lay it all out there. Is that how you prove yourself to be a child of God? Now what about this? What about preaching the gospel? Right? The, fir- the first three, you're like, okay, yeah, no, I don't, those are bad things. Preaching the gospel is not a bad thing. I mean, preaching the gospel as it's laid out in the New Testament, is that how you prove yourself to be a child of God? Well, not according to what we just read. I mean, to me, this is fascinating. I mean, look, look, at, look at, this, at this verse. I think, I think it's 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will do what? Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse church. I mean, the before and the after, this whole grumbling and disputing thing is like really grandiose kind of things. And I don't mean that in, in you know, the negative way. I mean real grand, right? Above, at the first, you know, verse 12 13, we're talking about working out salvation with fear and trembling. God is working in you. It doesn't get any bigger than that, right? He's accomplishing His will and His good pleasure. He's excited about what He's doing in you. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Big stuff, right? Then He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That seems really small. And then right after that, He says, and that's how you prove that you're a child of God, that you're blameless and you're innocent, right? These are all big things again. We got we got big, heavy, weighty things again. So, either, right, these are really small things among big things, grumbling and disputing, or they're really big things. I think the text demands that they're really big things. Because, think about what he could have written here, and this is one of my favorite things to do with text. You have to be careful, right? Because you can kind of twist the scriptures. But he, he didn't say any of the four things I talked about earlier. You know, uh, Do all things with public accusation of sin and therefore prove yourself to be blameless. And innocent. Go do all things preaching the gospel and so prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God. There's a billion things he didn't say there that add weight to what he did say. Do all things without grumbling or disputing 
and so prove yourselves to be innocent and blameless children of God, above reproach. Right? I think part of the disconnect is what I mentioned earlier, that when we read this, we think maybe we're proving to, to a, a person or we're proving to ourselves or we're proving to God. Uh, when in reality, this isn't, this isn't about a, a relational proof, like someone has to agree, right, that I'm a child of God. This just proves the fact, right? So the, the way to think about it is this. If I'm doing all things, right, and we're not going to talk about what the do all things is very much, right, but that's, <laughs> that's an important part of it, right? We're talking about a lot of big things. That's another big thing, do all things, but there's conditions on doing all things. That's what we're talking about today. Without grumbling or disputing. Right? Well, if you do those things, then you have a proof. And if you don't, you also have a proof. A disproof, I guess you could say. I do all things, but I grumble and I complain about it. Or I dispute. Well, then you've proven that you're not a child of God. Based on this text. At least you're... You're not a child of God, innocent and blameless and above reproach and shining as a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You've kind of proven that you're not that, right? If you're leaving out any of that stuff, like if you're not doing all things, and even if you are doing all things, but you're adding to that all this grumbling and disputing, you're sort of proven that you're, this isn't you, right? But if you are doing those things, Right? And, and again, this is, this is more for me. It's like I always think, well, I'm not, I'm not really what I'm... I'm not really the child of God. I want to be a child of God. Right? That's the thought that kind of creeps in. I want to be a child of God really, really bad, but maybe I'm not quite the child of God that I'm supposed to be. Well, it's pretty simple. Am I doing everything I know I'm supposed to be doing? And am I grumbling or disputing with other people about it? Well, if I'm not, that's a real confidence builder right there, right? It's not an arrogance thing or an ego thing like, ah, I'm a child of God and you're not. It's, one of, it's a comfort thing. Like, wow, I don't have to worry about this because I'm not Paul and I'm not Peter. But I am a child of God and I've got the same promises for inheritance here. It's that kind of proof. I think that's why we get this disconnect. It's like, well, that doesn't seem to prove anything to other people. We're not proving to other people. Right? And did you, did you notice, I've mentioned these a few times, but I haven't really brought attention to it. Did you notice the aspects that are related to this? Blamelessness is related to not grumbling and disputing. Innocence. Being above reproach. Being a light in the world. All of these big things are related to this seemingly small two things. A lot hinges on this, right? So I want to look just real quick at what these two words mean. Right? What are the meanings of these words? Um, first of all, what shocked me is they're not verbs. I don't know. Maybe you, you guys who read the King James, like you knew these weren't verbs. Because in the King James, they're not. They're nouns. I always read this in a different version. And I always thought these were verbs. Like do all things without the act of grumbling or the act of disputing and all that. Well, that's actually not what he's saying. He's saying do all of these things without grumblings. Now, without grumblings, that shouldn't be anywhere around you, and without disputings. Right? So, so now it feels like there's, there's kind of like these, 
little things that kind of attach themselves to the work. These grumblings that kind of float. Shed those. Get those things off of there. Right? The, so the first one is exactly what you think it would be. It's very simple. The grumbling, the complaining is just that. Right? Do all things without this. Examples of it are in John 7, 12. Um, you can turn over there. John 7, verse 12. And let's just read that so we, we get a feel for what complaining is. This is when Jesus is in and he's teaching at the feast. Verse 12, there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people straight. It's just this murmuring, right? We, we know what murmuring is. Uh, Acts 6, 1, uh, there was a complaint among the Hellenistic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. That word complaint, right? It's the same thing. That's the kind of stuff that shouldn't be associated with our work in the Lord, right? Do all things. It doesn't mean like we can't complain that this room is hot. <laughs> right? I mean, there are, there are things that are going to happen that are like, hey, it's worth, they're complain-worthy, complaint-worthy, whatever you want to say it, right? Uh, but when you start saying, man, I really don't want to do this work for God. We won't say that. But that's what he hears. Right? It doesn't mean we just don't, we can't ever complain in life. That's not what this is talking about. Because I'm hot, and I don't get hot. <laughs> so that's complaint. And, and that's almost all the time I want to spend on that. I really don't want to talk about the grumbling point because it's so clear cut. If you're doing something born out in Scripture, don't complain about it. It's that. It's that easy. I mean, it's that easy to understand. I don't mean it's that easy to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not standing up here saying that's easy to do because I, I still right, find myself complaining about stuff that I voluntarily, knowingly, willingly do and engage in saying this is a good work that I know God would want me to do and then I complain about it. So I'm not saying it's easy to accomplish the goal, but it's crystal clear, easy to understand. And, and it's easy to see how it would crop up um, in me, uh, especially if, like me, you're predisposed to Pharisaism, law-keeping, right? Um, what happens is, if you're predisposed to this kind of Pharisaical attitude, you say, okay, there's all kinds of things I need to do, and you find yourself doing all kinds of things that you don't really want to do. Right? That's how a Pharisee would live. By rule, I do this. 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 Right? Not, not out of love or because God is trying to change me or I'm becoming like Him. None of those things. It's by rule that I'm doing those things. Right? And so, because that's the reason, I find myself hating all of those things and complaining about all of those things. Right? So that's one way. I mean, I, I can't see you guys or know how you think, but that's, how, that's what I struggle with. Right? That's how I end up complaining. As I look around and find myself engaged in all kinds of things the text says I should be engaged in, and I don't really want to be, because it hasn't changed my heart, and so I just start complaining about it. We have to be careful, though, saying that just because we don't want to do something that we're, we're complaining. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross in the most basic sense, and we know that because he asked that the cup passed from him. 
But in another sense, he did want to die on the cross because he submitted his will to the Father. Right? So we need to be careful and, and not, not, not say, oh, you're a bad person because you don't want to make this massive sacrifice. That's not true. Right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that's what complaining is. Complaining is when you allow it, the not wanting, to start overriding and saying, hey, you know, I'm bearing all these burdens. Why aren't you guys bearing you, you, you should be bearing some of these burdens. Or however, whatever form the complaint takes, right? That's got to be done away with. You didn't see Jesus complaining about this. The closest thing he got to a complaint was when they were asleep. And he said, couldn't you guys stay awake? And that wasn't even about something he was doing. <laughs> that was the lack of support they were giving him. So that's complaint. Don't, don't let complaints get intermingled in your work. Okay. The next word is much more interesting. The disputings. And when I say more interesting, I mean harder. <laughs> um, it's most often translated thoughts. Not good or bad. Like, I just had a thought. That's the word that would be here. And because it's translated that very vague, generic word, context is super important with this word. Context is everything. So we're going to look at just several verses. We're going to go one, 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 right? I'm not going to go super fast. I'm going to let you turn there. But we're just going to look at a few of how this word is used in the New Testament. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. And this is the one that most closely relates to what Blake was mentioning earlier. It's relational. Right? It's amongst people. Luke 9 verse 46 says, An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. The word is argument. Right? That sounds like a disputing. Okay, that totally makes sense. Got it. That's outward. It's between you and me or amongst us. Look at the next verse. Verse 47. But Jesus... Knowing their thoughts in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side. Your version might say knowing what they were thinking, right? If your version says thoughts, right, that's the word we're talking about. If your version says what they were thinking, that whole phrase is the word. It just says Jesus knew their thoughts. There's no real good or bad associated with that. It's amoral. He just knew their thoughts. So it can be an outward argument, based on the context, right? Because it says this word started among them. Got a bad connotation. But they also had thoughts in their mind. It doesn't have a bad connotation. Now look also in Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 38. Jesus said, this is after his, his resurrection, right? He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? That word doubt. Same word. Doesn't sound like argument, does it? Doesn't sound like dispute. He says, why do doubts arise in your heart? He knew what they were thinking, right? And he's, thinking, he's talking about the thoughts they have internally. Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Romans 1, 21. Paul says, for even though they, right? These are the, the Gentiles or those who have, who have separated themselves from anything... Like God, they've they rejected the, the one true God. 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Speculations is the word. I mean, we talk about suitcase words, right? I don't know that this would be classified as a suitcase word because it doesn't carry, you know, tons of, like, big ideas in it, but it carries, the context changes this word a lot. And I keep bringing that up because we need to look at the context of Philippians 2 to understand what these disputings are. Well, I want to look at, at one more, uh, verse, Romans, Romans 14, verse 1. This one also I find, this one just mixes it up even more. I find it fascinating. Romans 14, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Opinions is that same word. So accept the weak brother, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his thoughts, his reasonings, his internal disputes, whatever, right? But it's translated opinions here. Same word. All right, you guys get the idea. Okay. This is a complicated word. Evil is not necessarily implied when this word is used. Um, in fact, what we just read shows that it is neutral. You're not to pass judgment on your weaker brother's opinions. So this interesting word isn't something we're specifically to avoid. Uh, well, it, I mean, it is. It's used in that, right? But in its generic sense, we don't avoid thought, right? I mean, we, you laugh because that's how Christianity is characterized in the world a lot of times, right? That's why I want to bring this up. Oh, you can't think and be a Christian. Or the Bible doesn't want you to think. Or if you are a Christian, you just don't think. You're not using your brain. It's not engaged. It's not turned on. Right? So people would look at this, this word and say, Oh, do all things without grumbling or thought. Is how the world would translate that, that verse. Ah, well now we have it. Don't think for yourselves. Be a lemming. Follow all the other lemmings right off the cliff. Right? But we need to look in the context, right? It changes from thought to argument to opinion to reasonings. Right? So it is something to avoid, but we've got to understand what we're supposed to avoid. So the group version of this thing is arguing, right? We, we get that and we understand it. Um, Imagine if everything that we did, we argued about. I don't mean have a discussion. I mean argue. And that defined us as a group. I mean here. Like that, and that defined us as a group. How much light would we be shining to people who came in as visitors for the first time? And they're just like, man, these people argue over everything. Or people who are looking for scripture, right? A church that they see in the New Testament and they just try us out. They're like, all right, there's one within walking distance. We're just going to go look. And amongst ourselves, we are constantly just 
I mean we walk in the door and we're arguing as we walk in the door. Well, we, we, we understand that cannot define us. But he's saying that individually, when we go out to do work that's in the Scripture, we need to get the arguments out of our system, like put that away and get the work done. And that shines your light. But before it even shines your light, what it does is it proves you a child of God. So, here's another way to characterize this proof thing. And I really struggle with this because every time I say it, what I'm thinking is I'm proving to someone. Let's think about it this way. God can say that group of people came in contact with one of His children. You don't have to say it. They don't have to say it. Nobody has to recognize it or verbalize it. But God in heaven can look down and say, my child was among that group today. Well, if we're arguing the entire time, He can't say that. He can say, man, I wish Richard had been my child in that group today. Opportunity missed. Right? Okay, that's the external. The internal version doesn't mean we can't think. It doesn't mean we don't engage in thought. It doesn't mean we don't doubt. Right? There was a verse that translated this doubt. And what I mean by doubt is just like, I don't have enough evidence. I, I don't. I doubt this because I, I have no reason to believe it. Jesus is standing in front of his disciples. <laughs> they don't need any more evidence. It's time to get rid of the doubt at that point. Right? So we're not talking about doubt, doubting in general. But doubting when you've got evidence, that's, that's an issue. There's a problem there. So I think, to help, I think to help us understand the internal version, we consider the external. Right? This external is an argument. It requires two people at least to have differing opinions and they go at each other. How does that happen internally? Well, you have two minds. That's how it happens. You have two minds. I think this is kind of the crux of this internal version of this word. James talks about this in two different, two different times. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It's possible for one human to have two minds. James 4, 8, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded. Did you notice in those two passages what James relates to double-mindedness? He, he doesn't say, oh, you're, you're just confused. Which it would be confusing to have two minds. That I understand what he's talking about. Right? The problem isn't confusion. The problem is instability, spiritual instability, and impurity. 
This, this double-mindedness that we're talking about is a moral thing, and it is an immoral thing. And it is a choice. Don't be double-minded. Don't have two minds, right? That's what James is saying. So how does a person have two minds in an argument? Here's, here's some basic examples. All right. I'm toiling over something. What does God think? And then I immediately bring up, okay, well, what do people think? And I have an argument in my head. Well, you know, God says this, but, you know, that's really kind of outdated. That, that, that passage is 2,000 years old. People don't live like that anymore. Women have just as much capacity to do these things as men. Right? Whatever the argument is. Right? That's two minds. Another example is what does God want and what does my flesh want? God says, no fornication. Do not have sex outside of marriage. My flesh says this. Well, you know, I know people at church who are doing that. And they would accept me. I know my family wouldn't have any issues with that. Maybe what Paul was doing was, it was similar to the Jewish law. He was just trying to keep them healthy. Right? He, he put all these rules in place because there was a, a preponderance of sexually transmitted diseases. Well, I'll, you know, I'll be safe. I'll take precautions. You see how he's got two minds? This person has two minds. Do you, see what the, do you see the fundamental problem that created those two minds? Is I've lifted what people think up to the level of what God thinks. If I had what God thinks in its proper place compared to what people think, the argument would never happen. If I had what God wanted and what my flesh wanted in their proper places, the argument would never happen. I would have one mind. And I would, get, I would choose whether I'm going to have the mind of the flesh or the mind of God. And really, if you're having the argument, you've kind of already chosen right, the mind of the flesh. Now maybe, right, you're weak, you're going through some kind of trial, there's this temptation that you're facing and you're having these two things. All I can tell you is grab onto the mind of God and stop having the argument. It's not really an argument. You're just trying to justify something. I mean, I know that sounds harsh. I'm not saying it harshly. It's just the reality of it. If you're pitting anything, anything, against what God has said, you're just trying to justify something. Let's just stop. I mean, it is that easy. Just stop doing that. Okay. So... Here's another example that hits a little more close to home. We tend to say this jokingly, but you know I have said this in earnest, so I'm, this is on me. I'm going to stop praying for patience because I don't like the pain that's required in learning it. I know we say that jokingly. I'm not jumping down somebody's throat who's joked about that. I have said it not jokingly. 
I mean, I've said that like realistically, like I'm gonna stop praying for patience because I was praying for patience. I knew and I know I'm an impatient person. So I'm like, God, you can help me with this. I didn't want the help I was receiving. <laughs> I really didn't want the help I was getting, right? But do you see what happened? The mind of God says you will be patient. The flesh says, I don't like this. So then what happens is my mind says, all right, you know what? I'm just going to stop praying for patience. It's a, it's, a, it's a similar example where I've got these two minds and I, I choose one that's going to win. So we kind of think, well, I won't say we. I kind of dismiss this double-mindedness as that's an immature thing. It's something maybe, a, you know, someone who's just new to Christianity or has come out of the world is dealing with. It's not something that I'm struggling with. Well, that's not true. If you still inhabit a body, you're going to struggle with it. If you still have people around you on this planet, you're going to struggle with it. So guard yourself against it. When you feel the debate coming on, say, is this a debate between God and man or God and flesh right, that I'm having right now? Trigger on that. And say, God cannot enter into a debate with this. God wins. Period. I mean, I mean in my head, right? I have to say, this cannot happen. Those are the two minds. And you see how this double-mindedness can be related to instability and impurity? James related it immediately. It's like it makes you unstable. And you need to cleanse the impurity from your heart because you're double-minded. And now let's go back to our text and we're going to wrap up. Philippians chapter 2. I want to, look, I want to consider this in the context here. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing externally or internally. Do all things without the arguments or the disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. When we identify what we're supposed to be doing, the do all things part, once we've identified what we're supposed to be doing, don't argue about it with other people. Right? Put your hand to the plow. Get it done. And don't have this double-mindedness that says, well, what will the world think? What will, will, will my flesh be satisfied with the outcome of this? Right? Grab onto what God has said and go at it. And that makes you blameless. There's no blame in you going wholeheartedly, zealously after the will of God. There's no blame to be had there. It makes you innocent. It makes you His child. It puts you above reproach. And He makes you shine as a light in the world. So that He can say, yep, my child right there is doing my thing. 
That's the proof. That's the lesson. I hope it was helpful for you. It was helpful for me when I dove into that word. Um, I got convicted about a lot of things. <clears throat> so, if that happens to you with God's word, good. Um, but also, don't go through that alone. Talk to us about it. Let us know if you're struggling with something. If there's double-mindedness. Um, if you have questions about how to get out of that, or you need help getting out of that. Um, Blake mentioned a song. He's going to sing a song. The purpose of that song is to provoke you to further thought, provoke you to further action, to let us know if there's anything that you need. And you can do that as we stand and sing.